Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Today we are continuing our study on the book or the topics that are found in Image Bears, and today we're going to be focusing on the topic that is from chapter 11, and that chapter is entitled Identity. And so what I want you to know on the offset is that we are covering a hard topic this morning, um, which many may consider even why is this a pro-life topic? What we remember is that being truly pro-life is a lot is desiring for all life to flourish. So the topic at hand is identity. And yes, this primarily includes gender identity, sexual identity, but it also includes seeing ourselves as true image bearers of God as part of his grand design. Personally, and for many of you, I know this topic is very sensitive because you have someone close to you who may struggle with some form of identity. This is also a topic more than ever, it seems to be in the headlines today from a male swimmer swimming as a female, now identifying as a female, competing as a female, winning medals as a female. It also is in the headlines because many states are passing legislation to address both sides of the issue of identity from both a progressive and a more conservative perspective. But beloved, what I want us to know before we look at what God's word says is that we are called first and foremost to have compassion. So before we begin, let's pray that the Lord would lead us for his word to illuminate us and for men, women, boys, and girls to know the love of Christ and the identity that the Lord gives. Let's pray. Father God, I know that for many of us, this is a very sensitive subject because it hits close at home. We may have children or brothers or sisters or family members who are struggling with either their sexual or gender identity. Lord, I also know that this is a a topic that is very difficult because our culture is so divided upon rights and expressions uh, and, and even legislation. And so, Lord, I pray today that as we open up your word and we look at several places about what you have to say about gender identity and sexual identity, Lord, that you would lead us to compassion, that you would lead us to gospel advancement, Lord, and that you would lead us to be on our knees praying that men, women, boys, and girls would come to know you so they could flourish in who you've created them to be. So Lord, guide us, guide this time. I pray you would be honored through it. Even when the speaker gets in the way, Lord, I pray that you would be honored. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So beloved, we are called to have compassion. However, we cannot confuse this morning compassion with apathy or acceptance. Compassion is not being apathetic and turning the other way. And compassion is also not acceptance. Constantly, we see through the four gospels that Jesus was led to compassion. However, we know that this compassion provoked him to loving action, to heal, to set right, and to show people the way of the kingdom. He was not accepting sin. He was not accepting misconception or confusion, but he actually came to set things right. Matthew's gospel 
in, in chapter nine, we actually see Jesus and, and we see that he goes throughout all the cities and the villages and he was teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew's gospel says he was healing every disease and every affliction. But then here in Matthew chapter nine, verse 36, it says, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You see, beloved, the compassion of Christ was not accepting the disease of sin, the affliction of sin, or the helplessness of sin, but his calling was to bring his followers to a place of proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And the good news of the kingdom was that God was coming to put things back together the way that he intended, the way that the Lord intended. Jesus' compassion was born out of a heart to see men flourish in the world the way God had intended. And so as we so commonly do, and especially during this series, it leads us back to Genesis chapter 3. And we know that through the creation account that God created order. And every day he, he created order. The first six days of creation actually flow upon one another. They, they're building blocks. There weren't fish until there was a sea. There, wasn't, there weren't birds until there was air. There weren't human beings until there was a way to eat. There was a way to enjoy, a way to breathe, a way to drink. God is a God of excruciating order. And after each day, he says, it was good. And then on the sixth day, he created two genders meant to complete one another. God had created a world of order and purpose, and he called it good. But then in Genesis chapter 3, Satan comes to put doubt and crisis of identity into the hearts of men. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It tells us that the serpent was more crafty than all the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And the serpent says to the woman, did God actually say? And then he says, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. This beloved was not an innocent question, nor was it meant to be a singular question. You see, Satan wasn't just deceiving Eve to believe that she didn't transpose something correctly to what God had said or that she hadn't heard Adam correctly when he told her what God had said. No, Satan was tempting Adam and Eve to this question. Is God good? And then the second question, is his order correct? And is his order good? And then he looks straight at Adam and Eve through this one question to say, is God who he says he is? Does God love you? Does he really love you? Does he really want what's best? Would he withhold the one tree of the garden if he really wanted what's best for you? And ultimately, Satan was asking the heart of man, is God really in complete control? When Adam and Eve give in to that lie and they answer all of those questions with, no, we can't trust God. No, God isn't good. No, we aren't who he said he was. Yes, he's withholding something from us. No, we're not sure if he's in complete control. Sin was completely born. Every sin that we commit and every confusing worldly doctrine that we believe and every time we give away to a simple desire, we are really believing God isn't good. His order is not best. He doesn't love me enough to care for me, that I'm not who he says I am. 
and he's not really in control. So what does the creator God say about man's identity and his purpose? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, the very image of God. He created them. Male and female, he created them. Brothers and sisters, God created man in the image of God, and he created them uniquely, man and woman, male and female. Our gender was purposeful. And the purpose of our genders was to glorify God. And God put a little bit of his image in man and a little bit of his image in woman. For those who may have biological children, maybe people will often ask you, well, well, who does he look most like? And then I know for our two oldest, we have, we have a lot of differing opinions. For, unfortunately for Emmy, everyone says she looks like me. But for Adeline and Caleb, some people will come up and say, oh, Caleb looks just like you. And some people will say Caleb looks just like his mom. Sometimes people will say Adeline looks just like her mom. And sometimes people will say she looks just like me. Now, what is it? There's a little bit of each of us in both of them that when you look at our children, sometimes you can see us. For my sweet daughter, Adeline, she and I have a very similar personality. So there are times that my wife will call me, Ashley will call me and say, I feel like I was talking to you. Now, she's not a, an exact replicate of me, but my image is in her. Brothers and sisters, God created man and woman in order that we would each uniquely carry a part of his image. The strength of the man shows us the strength of God. The tenderness, the compassion, the love, the purity of the woman shows us the tenderness, the compassion, and the love of God. Beloved, we were made in the image of God. But then Genesis chapter 5, verse 2, it reminds us male and female, he created them. And then what does it say? He blessed them and named them man when they were created. He blessed them and he named them who they were when they were created. And otherwise, we can't say that the gender is something that's assigned by man at birth. No, gender was assigned by God. Genesis chapter 5, verse 2 tells us that he created a male and female, and he blessed them, and he named them. He determined who they were when they were created. Beloved, we were made in the image of God and assigned gender and order in the beginning. In his book, Holy Sexuality in the Gospel, Christopher Yuan, a, a Christian who struggled with same-sex attraction, he writes this. He says, the world tells us, uh, the world tells those of us with same-sex attraction that our sexuality is the core of who we are. God's word paints quite a different picture. Genesis 1.27 informs us that we are all created in the image of God. The Apostle Paul says that in Christ we live and move and have our being, Acts 17.28. Thus, my identity is not gay ex-gay or even straight. My true identity is in Jesus Christ alone. In the conversation around sexuality, this subtle shift has created a radically distorted view of personhood. You see, God created man to know God and to make him known. Man was created to enjoy God and to echo his praise and glory. However, sin takes our purpose away from making God known and his glory known and creates a humanity of narcissists. Who are only interested in our own desires and our own preferences. You see, beloved, we are glory thieves, wanting our own glory, 
wanting to steal God's glory and place it upon ourselves. Malachi, the minor prophet, speaks to how we're made in the image of God. He, he speaks to our creation. In Malachi chapter 12, verse 14, this is what Malachi, the minor prophet, says. He says this, he says, but you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and your wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. In other words, now, this is both prophetical, but also physical. So on one hand, Malachi was saying, you have been an adulterer. But on the other hand, he was looking at the nation of Israel saying, you have been an adulterer against God. But the physical reality, verse 15, tells us this. Did he, God, not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. You see, God's purpose in creating men, male and female, was for them to subdue the earth, to be fruitful and to multiply, Genesis 128. And as we see in Malachi, the Lord was in their union in order that his praise and his glory would be replete in all of creation. He says in Malachi, there will be a godly offspring. Brothers and sisters, what does this mean? God gave gender, male and female, in order that the two would come together and reproduce. We were given our gender, not just for companionship, but for reproduction, so that we would be fruitful and that we would multiply and there would be a godly offspring. Well, this is what And we could continue to go throughout the Old Testament. This is what the Old Testament has to say about gender identity and sexual identity. But but today, many will argue that Jesus never spoke about this. He never spoke about identity or or same-sex attraction or, or gender identity at all. However, Jesus taught on following God, on fulfilling the law, and on marriage. You see, Jesus didn't come to rebuke every sin, to study every potential deviation from God's standard. But instead, he came to fulfill God's standard and fulfill the law of God. It's just like this. The creator of an item doesn't dream of all the ways that you will take that item and misuse it. As a matter of fact, he meant it for a purpose. And so he can't even begin to dream all of the ways that you might misuse it. And it would take forever. Jesus didn't come to teach us about how we could misuse the gifts of God and we could misuse the commandments of God. He came to fulfill the law and the commandments of God. He came to fulfill God's standard where we couldn't. As a matter of fact, Matthew's gospel, we'll go to Matthew again, Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse four, it actually tells us Jesus comes to the Pharisees and, and they were trying to test him and they were actually asking him about divorce and is it lawful? And, and our father Abraham said that you could divorce. And this is what he answered, verse four. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together. Or another way the Greek kind of says it is in the way the Lord has intended. Let not man separate or mess up. 
Do not mess up the way that God designed. So right here with Jesus talking about marriage, talking about divorce, talking about male and female. Yes, he's not looking at every deviation that man would come up with, but he certainly is teaching on gender and same-sex attraction and identity. That we were who God created us to be. Matthew chapter 5. This tells us what what we're saying, that God came to fulfill the law. Christ came to fulfill the law. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Do you not know that I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them? For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That's what's called a totalitary uh, approval of the Old Testament. I remember when I was first a youth pastor in York, Alabama, and on my very first Sunday, I went to the student Sunday school and actually the chairman of the deacons was one of the Sunday school teachers. And he got up and he was actually teaching out of a passage from the Old Testament, I believe from the prophet Isaiah. And he got up to the kids and says, now, kids, I know that the Old Testament is boring, and I know that it really doesn't apply to our lives, but hey, this is our last week in the Old Testament, and then we get to the good stuff in the New Testament. Brothers and sisters, may we never say that. The covenant of God found in the Old Testament, the prophecy of God found in the Old Testament, the wisdom of God found in the Old Testament, the law of God found in the Old Testament is good and right and true, and Jesus came to fulfill it. Jesus came for men and women created in the image of his father to flourish and to have relationship with the father. Jesus gave his life not to condemn the world, but to reconcile the world back to the father. He came to be a fulfillment of the law in order that we could be free, not to follow the desire of our heart, but to follow God and to flourish in his design for our lives. Before the cross and even now, however, our flesh and our spirit are in a constant battle. Paul even asked himself, oh, wretched man that I am, why do I do the things I don't want to do and I do the things that I hate? Romans chapter 7, verse 15. This is Genesis chapter 3. Satan has sought to control our flesh and our desires. He seeks to corrupt the ways of God and even causes men to see God's ways as, as antiquated and burdensome. And Paul speaks to the church at Galatia in Galatians chapter 5 about this very thing, about how we are in a war between the flesh and the spirit, about how we are consistently in a war between the way that God has created and intended life to be and in the way that we are tempted to follow our desire. Galatians chapter 17, sorry, Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are not opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
and against these things there is no law and those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires beloved we are called to have compassion on those in our families our neighborhoods and our communities who are struggling with same-sex attraction and gender confusion we identify the battle which is raging in their hearts as similar to the battle that is raging in our own hearts and we speak the truth which has been saturated in love. We all have desire, but those desires have been corrupted. They've been suppressed and they've been perverted by our sin and our fallen world. And we must realize that desire is real. And that includes the desire for same-sex relationships in all matter along the spectrum of the LGBTQ+. The desire is temptation and not sin. The desire becomes sin when it masters us. This is what James says. And if you have a Bible this morning, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to to turn to James. We're going to end this time in James, in James chapter 1 and then James chapter 3. Because ultimately, as we uh, finish out looking at what does God say about identity and and gender identity and same-sex attraction, I want us to see that desire is what is the tempter. And letting that desire master us is when we, when we foul our lives into sin and death. And so, beloved, maybe you are, are listening this morning and you go, hey, I, I don't struggle with same-sex attraction. I, I don't struggle with, with my gender identity. But there is a desire, a sinful desire, that is tempting you to turning away from God and allowing that desire to master you. And even if it's not a same-sex attraction or a gender identity desire, It's a desire for us to identify who we are by ourselves and not by who God says we really are. James addresses this desire. James chapter 1, starting in verse 14, he says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Listen again to verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, Good and perfect gifts are not from our meeting our desires. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, who's not a father of darkness or confusion, but a father of light, who there is no variation and there is no shadow due to his change. He is unchangeable. The God of Genesis 1 that spoke creation into existence and made us male and female, he has not changed his mind. He has not changed his word. His word was not up for interpretation by people in the 20. 2000s, in the 2020s, in the 2022. His word is unchangeable. His word is a gift. His word helps us not to be mastered by our desire. You see, desire, which is not mastered by the Holy Spirit, leads to sin and death. But don't miss the good news. God gives the perfect gift of his son and his grace, which can conquer our selfish desires and purify us from sin. Let's be clear, same-sex attraction is real, and many can be born with that predisposition. However, in the same way that the desire to commit adultery and fornication is real, 
If any are acted upon and not conquered by Christ, they lead to sin and they lead to death. So, beloved, may we pray. May we preach the gospel. May we be available. And may we consistently show the love of Christ because ultimately we want all men, women, and children to know the hope of Christ and an identity that is not confused, an identity that is not muddled, but an identity that is firmly rooted in the gospel of Christ Jesus. When we realize and we read this passage like we see here in James, we start to look at our own hearts and the sinful desires that we have that many times seek to master us that we know if it weren't for the Holy Spirit's active role and and prodding and helping and comforting and leading, that we would be mastered by that sinful desire. That gives us compassion for our brothers and sisters that are struggling with sin. That gives us compassion for the world that has allowed itself to be mastered by sin. And again, compassion is not apathy and it's not acceptance. It's speaking the truth, saturated in love. It's preaching the gospel. But now, as we close, let's look at James chapter 3. James goes on to talk about wisdom that is from above. And in this passage, we see two types of wisdom. Friendship being contrasted. So two types of wisdom are friendship being contrasted. The first wisdom is worldly wisdom. And the second is godly wisdom. And so you'll see these in this passage. James chapter three, starting in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly and spiritual and demonic for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there'll be disorder and every vile practice. But The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown by peace to those who make peace. So the first type of wisdom or friendship is worldly wisdom or worldly friendship. These are motivated by self-centered ambition and result in evil and disorder. The friendship is is formed when we give in to the sinful desires of the flesh. It it grows out of a longing for earthly wisdom, pleasure, and status. But ultimately, these desires and this friendship with the world and her desires leads to spiritual adultery against God. Beloved, we must remember that the sin of others is not ultimately committed against you or against me, but committed against God, committed against his order, committed against his plan and practices. And this sin is born out of a selfish and self-centered heart. So look at the root of worldly wisdom found in verse 14. It says, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting. Bitter jealousy. This is not just jealous for affection, attention, or assets, but a jealousy which creates bitterness. And bitterness, once it takes root, causes sinful action. We no longer are jealous for someone's affection but we've become bitterly jealous so that we seek to remove the object of their affection and aggressively try to replace it with ourselves. We don't just wish we had someone else's attention, but we now force to displace others with ourselves. And then we not only covet someone else's assets, but we now seek to steal, kill, and destroy in order to get what we want. 
beloved, sinful desires, which are not laid down at the feet of Jesus and repented of, can and will destroy our souls. But James gives us a contrasting perspective, which should provide great hope for all of us who are desired-filled people. And that is godly wisdom, our friendship with God. This wisdom comes from the Lord and is motivated by God-centered humility. As we see from James, it's the result of peace and righteousness. This friendship comes from the gracious desire of God to have a relationship with his people. The motivation is no longer worldly temporal needs, but for a longing for eternal satisfaction. This friendship comes from submission to the authority and the order of God. We're not seeking to to give in to our desires for momentary, light, temporal affection or happiness. We are giving it up our own ways. We're laying our desires at the altar. We're giving them over to the authority of God because we are looking for eternal satisfaction and eternal joy, which cannot be stolen. And brothers and sisters, for those around us, our family, our friends, our neighbors, who are struggling with same-sex attraction or gender identity, the truth of the matter is they aren't looking forward to a joy that is to come. They're trying to live in whatever will make them happy today. And that should lead us to pity and compassion. We get this wisdom and this friendship of God ultimately by resisting the devil and his schemes that are trying to blind us and confuse us. We seek God passionately through prayer, his word, and active participation and membership within a Bible-believing church. Beloved, you cannot stand and get the scheming desires of the flesh without other brothers and sisters who are in a covenant relationship with you through the local church. The church of Jesus Christ cannot compromise to friendship with the world, but must wrestle together to help one another ultimately wrestle against sin and the flesh in order that we may have a glorious friendship with God and the wisdom of God. So together then we pursue holistic purity. We treat sin seriously and we trust God completely. And with together as brothers and sisters, we pursue, pursue purity and we see sin as a serious threat. And that is, and that threat is to our soul and to our lives. And we aren't calling out the lack of purity in others' lives out of superiority, but out of love and compassion. When you see the debate between Bible-believing Christians in the world about same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria, the church is labeled as bigoted and acting from a place of judgment and hate. But if you see what this passage says, we should be a people who are acting out of love. We want people to turn from their sin to Christ because we want them to experience the flourishing and the abundant life that comes from following Christ fully. We should therefore, as our passage says, be peaceable, gentle, pure, open to reason, full of mercy, and sincere. And this should be our attitude with anyone with whom we are speaking the truth about God's word. Because ultimately, having the wisdom of God and friendship with God means that we trust God completely. Beloved, we cannot change the heart of men, nor can we change the course of society. But we serve a God who holds the heart of man and holds the heart of the king like a stream of water in his hands. May we continually speak the truth in love while entrusting ourselves, while entrusting our friends, while entrusting our family, while entrusting our neighbors to the sovereign hand of a father. So as we pray, 
Let's pray for those who've been led away by the deceitfulness of sin, and let's pray that they will be led to the loving arms of a Savior who shows us who we all really are, image bearers of God. Well, thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week, we are praying for the nation of Haiti, and we are specifically praying for our in-country representative, Phil Dare. We pray that God would continue to equip and strengthen him. We're praying for the, the central authority. We're praying for the local church in Haiti. Uh, we certainly are praying for the unrest that has been going on in Haiti and so many other things. We pray for these children in this island nation of Haiti. So let's pray. Father God, we lift up to you this morning, the island nation of Haiti. We pray that you would truly show your way and show your power um, in this country. Lord, for the unrest that has happened in Haiti and for the missionary contacts who are in the middle of this unrest and for our brothers and sisters who have experienced pain as they try to serve the people of Haiti, would you just bring peace to this island nation? And would you not just bring physical peace, but would you bring your peace that surpasses all understanding? And, and would you strengthen the church and, and, and help us even as we are looking for church partnerships, that, that we would find churches that would love you and love your name and love your word, and that would seek to make the gospel known in Haiti. Lord, for our in-country representative, Phil Dare, we, we pray that you would continue to equip and strengthen him each day as he works on behalf of vulnerable children and adoptive families. We pray for his safety as well as that of his family. We pray for IBESR, the central authority, as they manage all aspects of adoption in Haiti during this time of unrest. And we pray that they would be moved to action to help children and not to pause, but to continue to do good on behalf of these children. We pray for the local church that, again, you would continue to strengthen her and, and help her to pers persevere in these very challenging times. And Lord, we pray for the families uh, that are waiting, the three that are currently matched and the 11 who are awaiting a referral. We pray that they would have hearts of deep trust in you as they just wait in this period of prolonged waiting. And Lord, just soften the hearts of the matching committee at IBESR to extend referrals for these families who've been waiting on referrals for so many years, and ultimately for the children that they will be matched with who have been waiting for a family for so many years. But Lord, we also do praise you that two children have come home in the last few months, that we received two referrals um, in the last several months. And Lord, we praise you for new families that are now entering in this program to provide a family, a resource, a safe haven for these children. But God, would you conquer the voodoo? Would you conquer the mysticism? Would you conquer the agnosticism? And Lord, would you reign in the island nation of Haiti for your sake, for your glory, and for your gospel? Oh God, would you move? And would you move quickly for the people of Haiti? It's in your great name that we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.